Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where some brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and I find it interesting that there aren't any pick women. And I'm Jason. I'm a proud supporter of Pikmin Suffrage. Pikmin has been one of Nintendo's weirdest franchises for over 20 years, but it's always been a cult hit. Now, Pikmin 4 is bringing the series into the modern day and has picked up loads of new fans along the way. But is it any good? Let's get into it. Before we dive in, I want to turn it over to some of the the great intellectuals of our time, the folks on Metacritic.com, <laughs> to set us up uh, for how they're feeling about Pikmin 4. Uh, now, I perused hundreds of reviews, but I landed on just some of the best and brightest. Uh, <laughs> this is from Real CS Gaming, and they were nice enough to lay it all out for us. They said, This game is awful. It's plain and it's boring. Nothing about this is interesting. All you do is guide your stupid creatures around and collect items. Occasionally fight an enemy and that's it. The gameplay loop is so monotonous. I would never recommend this to anyone if I wanted to be nice. (laughs) I like the idea of recommending a video game to someone you don't like. Yeah. (laughs) Like you go up to this guy, (laughs) you just fundamentally disagree with them on everything. And you're like, you should play Pikmin 4. <laughs> and they're, yeah, and they're just like, okay, cool, I'll check it out. And you just walking away, it's like your evil laugh rubbing your hands together. It's like, ha ha ha, that's a bad video game. <laughs> <laughs> I think the kind of person that would write a review like this is also the kind of person that, uh, like, their enemies wouldn't know they dislike them. Uh, this next review comes from Muztart. <laughs> um, I don't like that name. Uh, so this is really the experience I think everyone's going to have with this game. Uh, I played the demo and it made me fall asleep. This series is not for me. And that makes me sad. <laughs> Zero out of 10. <laughs> I've, I've recently adopted a new policy of any time where someone criticizes something by saying they fell asleep during it. Like this movie was so boring that I fell asleep or whatever. Um, first off, I disregard that opinion. <laughs> but uh, second, I'm just going to start referring to that person as a sleepy little guy. You know? <laughs> just like... He's just a sleepy little fella. Yeah. He needs uh, to take a nap, and the best way for him to get to sleep is Pikmin 4. Yeah. Yeah, the the demo, which is like, like I want to think like two hours long, couldn't get through it because you needed to sleep. You need to take a nap every two hours because you're a sleepy little guy. <laughs> and our last review... Uh, this one, I don't even know how to pronounce this username, uh, but they they said, very easy, like a baby game, overrated. I'm selling my video game on Marketplace. <laughs> Completely separate video game he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no references to anything that happens in Pikmin in that review. <laughs> um, so- it's viral marketing. It's <laughs> like, oh, maybe someone will see this review on Metacritic and then they'll check out the game that I developed. I'm not going to say that we've always knocked it out of the park with every one of our reviews. We're not professionals at this. We don't know how the industry works. But, like, I always, I've always had a lot of pride in the fact that we always sort of lay out what our biases are. That's, like, our whole deal. 
And this is the the game, the first game that I've come across where I think that that is incredibly essential. <laughs> like, it is incredibly important that we explain our experiences with Pikmin before we give this review because the reviews I've seen of this game of people that really, really, really love Pikmin historically and the reviews I've seen of people that are brand new to the series could not be more different. So, so before we even dive in to what Pikmin is, Jason, what has been your experience with the Pikmin series thus far? I'm kind of a, a late comer to the Pikmin series. Um, I mean, I think we've mentioned it a few times on streams and on the podcast, but, you know, back in the Wii U era, there was a point when they gave out three free games. Uh, I don't remember what they are, but I remember I owned two of them, and the third one was Pikmin 3. So that was my first Pikmin experience in, like, 2018 or something like that. Or not <laughs> yeah. 2018, like 2016. Uh, and I remember kind of enjoying Pikmin 3, but it wasn't quite enough to keep my entertainment or to keep, to keep my attention for very long. Uh, and I think around the exact same time, I had also picked up Metroid, uh, Super Metroid on the Wii U Virtual Console, so I played a <laughs> lot more of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that said, when they announced Pikmin 4, like when they, re- they announced the release date not super long ago, and they also came out with remasters, I guess, of Pikmin 1 and 2, I decided to pick those up, and I played a fair bit of Pikmin 2. I beat Pikmin 1. And I I did really enjoy that. So I kind of came into Pikmin 4 not necessarily excited for it, but I knew I was going to like it. (laughs) I I think there are just so many other games this year that I didn't think I was going to like Pikmin 4 as much as. So I was just like, I kind of viewed it as more something to put on the schedule and then not worry about it. (laughs) But I, I think I was pleasantly surprised by Pikmin 4. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Pikmin Four is a better game than Pikmin One. I I wouldn't know. This is my very. This is the first time I've played any Pikmin game. I think I maybe turned on Pikmin Three on the Wii U once for maybe an hour or less, <laughs> and that's the only time only time I've experienced this series other than Pikmin Four. But I gotta say, as a complete newcomer, really digging it. Now, I definitely saw some reviews when this game first launched of people that were big, big fans of Pikmin 1 through 3 that just despised this game because it's sort of a fundamentally this is a similar game, but they changed a lot of the the way that Pikmin works (laughs) and the things that it prioritizes and what it wants you to do with your time. So before we get into that, though, I guess it, there's a little bit of staging that has to be done here because Pikmin is such a weird game from the outside. Like if you have not played it, like if you were in the same position I was, this game just looked like absolute insanity. It was just the weirdest concept. All I ever saw when I looked at this game was a little guy running around, throwing some guys, and then those guys carrying stuff. Like, I and that's it. That that is the whole game, <laughs> but. Uh, for a little bit of context here, so the first Pikmin game, uh, you played as Captain Olimar, this itty-bitty alien guy uh, who crash lands on planet PNF-404, a planet that's strangely similar to our own, if you look closely. 
Um, he needs to repair his ship, but being only like an inch tall, he didn't necessarily have the physical means to do that on his own. So he has to call on these little plant creatures called Pikmin. Uh, the Pikmin are just these colorful little guys that sort of do what Olimar tells them to do. They carry things for him. They they put things together. They help him solve puzzles and get to different items. And they help him put together a ship. And he promptly crashes it again. <laughs> and in this game, I think he's now crashed the ship an additional time since uh, a rescue in, team. In Pikmin 2, he didn't crash his ship. In Pikmin 2, they intentionally went back to the planet because they knew there was treasure. Okay. Makes it, sense. It's a little bit different. Only yeah. three of the games center around uh, spaceship crashing. <laughs> yeah. But sometime after leaving in 2, Olimar comes back and he needs help again. So now... A recovery team has been sent to save Olimar, but wouldn't you know it, they crashed their ship too. (laughs) So now you, a rookie astronaut, uh, have been hired to go in and save Olimar and this rescue team. Um, And there's a dog now. So that's the gist of it. Um, You're trying to go in and save them with the help of the Pikmin. And you also need to collect a bunch of rare treasures because for some reason in this world, uh, rare and valuable items just automatically become fuel for your spaceship. So I think that's that's pretty much the gist of what's happening narratively. Um, I don't even know where to begin in describing what this game is mechanically, though. <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess, somewhat similar to Lemmings conceptually <laughs> hmm. I, I I think Pikmin is a very unique game and it's kind of hard to compare to anything else for sure for sure because um, I mean I mean I said lemmings uh, not super accurate <laughs> yeah um, so- because they, they'll follow you around like groups of Pikmin will you know like if a Pikmin runs into a group of other Pikmin that are doing a task sometimes they'll join but I, I don't know if I would necessarily say that's like the central mechanic of the game. Um. No, I, I guess an important thing to kind of set up here is what your actual goal is. So, you know, you're trying to find these people and these treasures, but the treasures are way bigger than Olimar. He's just not physically capable, or not Olimar, but your character. Like, your character's just not physically capable of getting these items to, to your ship. So you have to rely on the Pikmin, and, you know, you pluck some Pikmin out of the ground, those Pikmin can help you find items so that you can, you know, if you bring certain items back to your ship, then more Pikmin are sprouted and you can pluck them. And um, you eventually end up with this little army of Pikmin. And if you send 20 Pikmin, they can maybe go pick up, you know, like a painting or something really big and valuable to bring back to your ship. Something that Olimar or your character couldn't have gotten by themselves. So you sort of get into this uh, flow of, you need more Pikmin so you can carry more items and bring them back to your ship. But there's a bunch of complications thrown on top of that. There are environmental hazards that it takes a certain number or a certain type of Pikmin to circumvent. Or there are enemies that require just a ton of Pikmin to overwhelm them because Pikmin alone don't fight very well, but in a big group they can do a lot of damage. And you sort of have to... 
manage your Pikmin sort of like their their own resource and you have to manage your time because it's only safe to go out during the day and you have to be back in by nighttime before all the, the most savage enemies come out. So it's all about this loop of get more Pikmin so you can get more items so that you can eventually, you know, you'll have cleared a path and gotten the resources you need to get off the planet. Um, it sounds more complicated than it is. <laughs> um, I, I would say, like, fundamentally, this is a very, very simple game, which I didn't expect. But I think that that's sort of the beauty of it. Um I think that what really sold me about this game more than the fact that it it looks great and it plays well is just the fact that like this is just a really chill and like laid back experience where you just get to hang out and explore and find some Pikmin and fight a few enemies, grab a few items. Like it's everything about it was just so like relaxing but in a way where you still felt like you're accomplishing something and i've really really liked that about the game yeah i would definitely say it's a pretty relaxing game i think something that this game added that the previous games were really lacking was like a hard progression system Mm -hmm. because you know in the older games you would get new pikmin types as you played through the game so You'd start off with just the red ones, and then eventually you'd get blue ones, which are special because they can go in water. And then eventually you'd get yellow ones, which are special because they're electric. Uh, and that that kind of thing continued through the end of the game. Well, not I guess not the end of the game, but like it continued through a decent portion of the game. And you would that would be your only form of progression in the other ones. This game adds. A whole bunch of new stuff that I think kind of makes progression more interesting, more fun, uh, and it actually makes you feel <laughs> like you're getting better at the game over time, yeah, other than just sure. straight up just knowing the mechanics better. Right. I think that's really neat. That was something I'm kind of I was excited to see in this one. Um, and there are like I guess two or three primary ways that you get better in the game. Uh, the first one being they added a dog in this game and that dog can learn new tricks as you're like exploring through the world. You'll find castaways and other similar things to castaways. I don't know exactly what to call the leaflings. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's castaways and then there's sick castaways. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And as you find more and more of those and as you get medicine to cure the sick ones, uh, your dog gets additional points that you can put into any one of a number of skills. I think there are like 10 to 15. I don't know exactly how many. I didn't count them out. A lot. But More than I expected there to be. Yeah. Like <laughs> as you unlock those skills, like your dog gets significantly better. I mean, in the beginning of the game, it only has the strength of like three Pikmin it's not very fast. It can't swim. And by the end of the game, it has the strength of a hundred Pikmin and it can fly. <laughs> not, it can't fly, but it, it can do just about anything else you can imagine. It can go very quickly. It can take down enemies that it would normally take dozens of Pikmin to fight. Like, uh, I feel like the dog is sort of what makes this game, or I think sort of is what making this game more popular and more approachable than some of the other games because i feel like at the end of the day even if you really screw up even if you have tons and tons of pikmin that die even if you don't have a way to get your bearings again 
the dog's kind of there and he can carry you through through some of the more difficult situations. And while I know some people have really thought that that is like a big wrench in the like main hook of the series, I think that that's really fun. Like I think having that crutch means I can play a little dumber. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes I can just throw an absurd number of Pikmin haphazardly into a situation and just see what happens. Whereas the previous games had a bigger emphasis on choosing what you do very carefully. <laughs> um, I So I think one of the biggest difference between this game and at least the original Pikmin is the original Pikmin, you had a hard limit on when you had to be off the planet, right? It was like you had 30 days and it's just it was over if you didn't succeed. Yeah, the first Pikmin game was, I think, 30 or 31 days. This time around, there is no cutoff in time. Like, I still finished it in under 30 days, but there was no, like, incentive to do that. And, like, I think that it sort of took away from the intensity of, or not intensity, but just tensity <laughs> of uh, the original game in sort of dropping that system. But I think for me, I I like that. As someone who didn't experience the original, I really like the fact that this game just like lets you do it at your own pace. It lets you explore things as you want to. You don't have to like, you know, min-max your days. <laughs> um, you can just kind of go where you need to go and see what you want to see. And eventually you'll find all the stuff and move on. So. Yeah, I think that's kind of a big issue I have with Pikmin 1 and 3 is the there's a hard time limit. Pikmin 1, you know, you had that. It was exactly 30 days. If you took longer than that, then... It was too late. You were you were gonna lose. Uh, in Pikmin three, you had to collect fruit that could be turned into like food for the crew, and there was a limited number of fruit. Like it didn't respawn or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, just like the treasures, you know, once you had all the fruit, there was no way to get any more, and then you only had so much time before the game ended. I don't know exactly how many days it was. I assume it was probably more than thirty, or you know, at least different in the way that it worked, but. This game and Pikmin 2, I I like a little bit more because there's not quite, there's not a time limit that kind of forces you to rush through things. You know, you can take it at your own pace and you don't have to worry about any kind of external factors like that. Because, I mean, like you said, I think that Pikmin is a pretty relaxing game when you're playing it. Um, and I didn't come anywhere close to the time limit in Pikmin 1. I didn't play enough of Pikmin 3 to really run into the time limit too, too much. Uh, but this game I finished in less than 30 days as well. But I think just having like that hard time limit there itself is a stressor, even if you're mm -hmm. not close to it. Because right. it's just like, oh, well, if I screw up this day, then I'm definitely going to lose the game and there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that I can definitely see the appeal of that, like a... Uh a game sort of pressuring you to move quickly I, I can i can get behind but i think that it would have kind of flown in the face of sort of playing this game like you want to 100 percent complete it like for example uh, on the very first map in the game i was at 99 percent completion on a map and then the day ended and i didn't know where the last thing i needed was so i had to just pack it up and go home and if this were a game where i really had to manage my time it would have been really hard to convince myself to go back and get that one item on that one map, especially considering I'd already unlocked two more at this point. Yeah. But because this game doesn't have that push, 
I can go back, I can take my time, I can look thoroughly for it, I can figure out what I need to do to get it, and I can go about my day. Uh, um, and this game has six maps that you can do that on. Um, they function totally independently of each other in terms of like your progression and what Pikmin are there and what obstacles they fa- you face. Um, so, I mean, like I, I liked the fact that every time I'd go to a new map, I could kind of start fresh and I could sort of focus on just finding everything at the pace I wanted to go at. Um, I mean, of course, I still tried to make the most of the days I spent in the game, but at the end of the day, if I was running out of time, I didn't worry about it. I just came back the next day and finished it then. And I really like that. I think that it flows really well with the Pikmin vibe of, you know, like meticulously completing tasks and mm-hmm. also kind of being laid back. Yeah. And I I always felt like in the older Pikmin games, I was kind of rushed a little bit, you know, like. Sometimes you needed to use a suboptimal method to solve a puzzle in some of the older games because the optimal method would be it would end up taking you a little bit longer to set up and it's like, well, I need to get that done, but I also have this stuff over here to get done and I don't want to waste a whole day to come back and just get one of these items or something like that. Sure. Yeah, I think Pikmin's kind of a hard game to talk about. Yeah. And I, I think that's a big part of the reason that it wasn't more popular when we were younger right like it's it's really easy to give a pitch for like a metroid or a legend of zelda because you're off doing these big flashy fights and you're exploring these fascinating places and there's big enemies to fight and stuff like that whereas with pikmin it's a lot of fun but it's not stuff that sounds like fun (laughs) necessarily like It doesn't sound like going up to a random item and clicking A ten times to throw ten Pikmin on that item is is as exciting as it is. Um, yeah. Plus, I don't I don't necessarily feel like the games were helped by the first two being on the GameCube, and the GameCube didn't have any kind of like online store or anything like that. I feel back when we were still buying GameCube games, I've been kind of weirdly nostalgic thinking about it, but like. You didn't buy a game unless it was something that you'd already heard was really cool. You know, yeah. you know like you mentioned, like Pikmin's kind of a hard sale compa- compared to Metroid or Mario or Legend of Zelda or something like that. And the only reason that I think most people would have gotten Pikmin as a kid is if if they had a friend that was already really into Pikmin somehow or if like you're one of the people whose parents just randomly bought you Pikmin. <laughs> yeah. And I don't feel like that even happened to very many people because I feel you know, most people getting GameCube games back then, or like most young people, obviously it's different for adults, but people like our age were only really getting games that we either really wanted, which usually was franchise games. So something new like Pikmin wasn't really going to stand out to us back then. Yeah. Or things that like your parents see and they're like, oh, they might want this for their birthday or Christmas or something like that. Sure. And yeah. I don't think either of us really had the kind of parents that were going to get us Pikmin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, this is a series that I had no connection to whatsoever. Like literally the most I had ever engaged with Pikmin and even really wanted to engage with Pikmin was, oh, cool. All of Mars in Smash. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw all was in Smash and I was like. I don't know who that is, and I don't really care. Yeah. It was like Pit, but 
But at least I saw how Pitt played in Smash Brothers, and I was like, maybe I will check out Kid Icarus. Yeah. I saw Olimar. Well, he was called Pikmin and Olimar in the first game, I think. Yeah. They really put the emphasis on Pikmin in that one. <laughs> yeah, there had um, to be the brand recognition. Yeah. And I was just like, why does he look like that? <laughs> <laughs> and he also had the most complicated moveset imaginable, which made him a very hard one to like. Like, he, he was a hard character to engage with, which meant that I wasn't going to, like, give the actual thought to who is this character. So. Now, I think one thing that keeps coming to mind for me when I play Pikmin 4 is how similar my experience with this game is to the Lego video games. And what I mean by that is this game has a lot of quote-unquote puzzles, but when you walk into a new area, it's like walking into a room in a Lego game. The puzzles aren't, oh, I need to overcome this complex series of challenges to unlock the next door. You walk into a room and there's like, there's a thing you got to blow up. There's a thing you got to use the force on. And there's a thing you got to build. Go do those things. Yeah, the the puzzles are never like things that you really need to sit back and think about. It's always right. just, you need to be this guy. Yeah. It's it's and it's like that in this game. Like there's never a point when you get to a new spot and there's an item there and you think like, man, how am I ever going to get to that? It's always like, okay, I need to build the bridge, then I need to dig this hole and then they carry it back. And like that sounds really dumb. Like it sounds like that's such a simple thing like that would just be like you wouldn't care. But I think that the game is so it, it's so cute and fun and it like has such a good vibe to it that just like even going through and just doing things like checking off that item on the list is still really satisfying. Like I would say that the word I would use for this game more than like fun or exciting is just it is a satisfying game to play because you are accomplishing a goal that is put in front of you consistently. Like every item you bring in, you're a little bit closer to being done with that map. And every map you finish, you're a little bit closer to having it all. And I think that that's really cool that they like let that be the driving force versus you know you have to overcome some huge conflict or you're in world ending you know a crisis that that you've got to resolve like this is just you hang out you find some items you know that no one in the crew is in any imminent danger somehow they've all just decided it's fine to take their time <laughs> and i think that that's neat <laughs> i wish more games would just like let you do a thing without there having to be like huge stakes hanging over it I, I think that Pikmin, I think it hits a really nice balance of like, there are stakes, there's a reason to go out and, you know, complete your task every day, or if you want to go out during nighttime with something new in this game, like, there are reasons to do that in the game, and it feels like you're making progress by doing it. But you're not held back by a time limit or anything like that. And you, But you don't need to worry about like, doing it in a certain amount of time or everyone will die you know <laughs> the the more days you take in the game is just more time that you're spending playing pikmin i think one thing that's really neat about this game versus a lot of other big games is the fact that you know in a game like uh, final fantasy 16 recently you know there's this critical path where everything that's happening is super super important and it's like world ending phenomenon on at their feet and uh, you get to the end of the game and it's like, well, here's these 20 side quests. <laughs> uh, I need you to put off saving the world so you can do those. This game never really has that phenomenon because it feels like just going out and finding stuff and 
getting a feel for your surroundings is just as important as the critical path. And I think that that really kind of sells the fact that you can just go out and hang out on this planet. Like it, it looks cool. It's kind of, it has this like honey, I shrunk the kids vibe to it. That's a lot of fun to just walk around and find the items. And if you really pay attention to your surroundings, you see some really cool stuff. Like um, there will be kids toys and there's like one point, one point where there's like skateboards and baseball bats in the background, which really gives the whole game this really interesting sense of scale. There are these optional dungeons you can go into in one of the later levels where you're inside of like a terrarium where there would normally be like lizards and snakes and stuff and i think that that has such a cool vibe and everything about the game sort of blends together where you can just kind of focus on the vibe <laughs> like i've said like i never really played pikmin 2 or 3 enough to say you know this is new to pikmin 4 or anything but I really like how they kind of leaned into the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids vibes, and one of the maps is just straight up someone's house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would I say like that's that a, a spoiler, because I feel like that would be a spoiler in any other Pikmin game, but nope, the prologue takes place in the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it starts you off there. I think that, uh, that that's a really cool dichotomy, too, because, you know, the first levels feel very small. Like, you're in a yard, and, like, you're just the open sky above you and like the items you're finding are really big, but it's when you go into the house for the first time that you really feel like, Oh, I am basically playing as an ant. <laughs> and yeah. I think that that's really cool. Yeah. I guess the Pikmin are really similar to ants. Yeah. They can carry several times their body weight. They travel in packs. They fight in groups as well. And that makes <laughs> uh, your character, the queen. Yep. It's so hard to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> I like how a big part of the game is going out and finding the treasures in the world. And I always feel like there's kind of two sides to that, where there's the one of just like, I want to get all the items so I can complete the map and, you know, get 100%. Uh, but there's also the part where it's like, every time you find a new item, it's usually something pretty cool. Yeah. For <laughs> or sure. at the very least, like there are enough cool ones kind of mixed in that it keeps things interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think some of my favorite items that you can find in this game are um, Wave Racer for the GameCube. <laughs> and there was also like a WaveBird controller for the GameCube that I randomly found. And then Game Boy games. Like there's there's a lot of like kind of nostalgic Nintendo stuff mixed in, which I, I think is a good balance. I kind of wish there was even more of it, honestly. Um, yeah. Because like Pikmin 2 had a whole bunch of like licensed treasures that you would find out in the wild one that really comes to mind is that there's a battery that you can find fairly early on and i can't remember if it's energizer or duracell but it's just a regular battery <laughs> it, it made it clear that you were in like our world yeah for sure you know you would see things like all over but it could be giants that have their own shovels or whatever I think there was something really interesting about when you see an item in Pikmin and it's like, oh, that's like a licensed item of something that I own. Like there's a blue Game Boy Advanced SP and it's like, oh, I have one of those. <laughs> yeah. I always felt like that was kind of the big thing pushing me forward was wanting to get to the treasure and seeing like what it was. I feel like we've been pretty positive about this game and I do have some negatives about it. <laughs> I feel like I should go ahead and bring up my biggest negative in this one is... There's so much talking. <laughs> there is, like, a confusing amount for what this game is otherwise. And it's a shame, because I was pretty interested in the story, 
But at a certain point, like, there's just so much, I guess, incidental dialogue that has nothing to do with the story that I just kind of started skipping over all the cutscenes. It felt like the dialogue was some kind of obligation, because I don't know who would have, like, wanted it there. I Like, I don't know that this is a game that needed, like, a few boxes of text after every day, when, like, all the text is just the crews, you know, hanging out together. And, like, there would occasionally be a funny line, but it wasn't frequent enough that I felt the need to, like, actually read every piece of dialogue. I think it was really... It was at its most annoying at the very beginning of the game, which I think is a shame, because to start the game off, you have a prologue where you play as Olimar, and it tutorializes everything you need to know about the game. Like, it teaches you how to throw Pikmin, it teaches you how to use the dog to do things... It even goes a little bit into what the different type of Pikmin do, I think. I might be misremembering on that. It's been a while. But then as soon as you complete that prologue, you go into character customization, and then the actual story of the game like kind of kicks off where your crew of rescuers gets... Uh, there's a shipwreck in outer space... And they crash down to the planet and you need to find all of your comrades before you can really get started with your main goal of finding Olimar. Uh, and for some reason, there's another tutorial there that basically teaches you all of the same things, except way slower. Yeah. And it's not like your character plays differently from Olimar. Right. Like The only real difference same. is that he has a fully upgraded dog. I don't know. It is kind of weird. Like... Everything about the game is just so, like, cute and friendly and approachable. And then there's just, like, a weird amount of reading that I just I just can't place who that's even really there for. <laughs> I mean, I do think that it's easy enough to just breeze right by it, that it doesn't sink the whole experience by any stretch. But I just don't think it. It only takes away from the game. Like, it doesn't add anything. <laughs> yeah, and it's generally not, like, it's not really long cutscenes where you have to talk or anything like that, but it's more of like, I guess, a depth, a death by a thousand cuts kind of thing where there are just so many dialogues that pop up and it's like two lines, maybe. Yep. Yep. It's also especially bad the first time you land on like a new plant or new map or something because like every couple feet, it feels like there's something stopping you to be like, wow, look at that new thing. And wow, look at that new thing. And wow, that thing's interesting. Like, I would have got there. <laughs> if you would just let me walk 100 more feet, I would have figured out what it did on my own. And I, I kind of brushed over it earlier, but there is a new kind of nighttime exploration mode. I guess it's more of a tower defense than exploration. Yeah, uh, sort of. <laughs> I think that the dialogue issue is at its worst there, because at the beginning and end of every single one, it gives you almost the exact same dialogue. Yeah, it's very strange. Like, I think that the nighttime missions are a really cool addition, and I think that they're one of the few parts of the game that I think even, like, border on challenging, but I don't think they necessarily make the best use of the player's time. I would say if you count the time from, like, when you wake up in the morning in the day to actually, like, going and selecting the mission and getting a few Pikmin so that you can start the tower defense part and then, like, all the text that comes after it, I would say on a day where you go out on a nighttime mission, you probably spend more time not doing the mission than you do, like, actually playing that part. Like, I would say most of the time you spend on a nighttime mission day is just them talking about what you're going to do, the setup, 
and then talking about what you just did. <laughs> that said, I do think the nighttime missions are fun. Like, they're very different from what you're doing in the normal daytime stuff. For sure, for uh, sure. I like them a lot. In the nighttime mission, instead of having a variety of different colored Pikmin that all do different things, you just have one super Pikmin, essentially, which are the, they're called glow Pikmin, because they glow. Um, <laughs> and it's all just about going out and collecting these sparkles that kind of look like the uh, star bits from Super Mario Galaxy, and bringing them back to a little hill that glows in the dark as well. Uh, and then... Throughout the mission, it's just collecting as many of those as you can to get more glow Pikmin and taking down enemies as they come. Because for some reason, when they see the light, they become enraged. Yeah, and it it gets progressively more complicated as you go because eventually you're having to defend multiple points and the enemy numbers increase and like the, the speed at which they start attacking increases. Like um, It does a lot to sort of up the ante as you go in a, in a pretty natural way. Um, I, I think that the, the, I don't think that they were necessarily like incredible missions by any means, but I think they were a nice way to break up the regular days you spent just going out exploring. And I think that the game rewarded you really well for doing these missions because that was sort of your main means of curing the sick people that you've rescued. And it also got you more upgrades for your dog. And then that would, you know, help out what you were doing during the day a lot and it kind of it meshed together really well with the regular flow of the game. It was a nice way to break up what could have become very boring, I think. So there are two other new game modes as well. Or I don't know if they're new, but they're definitely outside of like the normal, like what you're doing in the day in Pikmin. So the first of those is just a straightforward time trial. These are some of my favorite parts of the game. Basically, it was just you're given five minutes and you're in a small area and you have to get all the items back to your ship within those five minutes. And this is where the game really pushes you to make the most of your time, make the most of every Pikmin, make sure that they're working on a bunch of different stuff at once. Cause if you like get too single focus, you're never going to get through it all in time. So it, it becomes sort of this, uh, it's trying, you're trying to keep a bunch of plates spinning versus just checking off this item than this item than this item like it's more about making sure all your pikmin are doing everything they can all the time and i think that's a really cool way to like take that same formula that the game has for the regular missions but then sort of pick up the pace up the adrenaline and then condense it all into just a couple of minutes which i think was a really smart way to take you know the pressure of the timing of the original game and then the more freeformness of this game and kind of mesh them together for this little part. Yeah, I think those were probably my favorite parts just because there was a short-term goal to work towards. Right. <laughs> Which I think is kind of something that the rest of Pikmin can start slowing down on as you get later in the game. Mm -hmm. So I didn't necessarily care for these too much near the beginning when I constantly had stuff to do, you know, out all the time. But as I got further and further into the game, I started really enjoying them. And I would, you know, go back and try to make sure I got the platinum medal on all of them. I, I just think they were really cool. Unfortunately, there's a second new game mode <laughs> that I do not think is as cool. No, um, it's conceptually cool. Basically, there is also a same version of that time trial mission, except instead you're now competing to get the items first. So you have you and a computer-controlled player, or you and like a um, another actual person can compete, 
and you are trying to get items back to your base before the opponent can get that item back to their base. And there are all sorts of stuff constantly spawning in on the map, and then there are certain items that you're told are worth more points than others at different times. And it's all about keeping that focus, just like in the time trial, of making sure all your Pikmin are working as hard as they can to get all the items back that they can. But now, there's also this emphasis on you need to be paying attention to what your opponent's doing, you need to look at ways you can sabotage them, or you can sort of make the most of what they're already doing to better your strategy. It's something that I think is really cool, but it's also kind of a mess sometimes. Like, there's too much happening, and the game makes you watch it in split screen, even if you're playing by yourself. And I know it's so you can see what your opponent's doing, but it just became hard to focus on. And I also think that the scores could shift so quickly in this mode that I never really felt like I was making good progress. And I think that making progress is sort of like the big selling point of the rest of the game. I I also felt like sometimes you would just get screwed over really late in a match and you had to redo the whole thing. And I I think that it's just kind of antithetical to everything else that you're doing in Pikmin, where it is kind of laid back and relaxing like, this is five frantic minutes. I, now, I didn't play this game mode with actual people. I feel like it could be fun if you were doing it truly competitively. But when you're just playing against CPUs, it kind of just felt like it was kind of doing the opposite of what the rest of the game was. Like, I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea for a game mode, but I do think it's the worst part of the package. You know, everybody's going to have different takes on this part specifically. I think there are going to be a lot of people that this is like their favorite part of the game. So, you know, (laughs) take what we say about it with a grain of salt, I guess. Yeah, we say it's bad, but maybe you don't say it's bad. You should reach out and let us know. Actually, um, if you disagree with us about literally anything, you should just stop paying attention to anything that we say. That's always been my experience with content creators on the internet that talk about video games. Is uh, If they give a bad opinion once, everybody just stops paying attention to them forever. I mean, it seems like that's going just fine. <laughs> so. See, I think the opposite. I think if you hear us say an opinion that you disagree with, it's because your opinion's bad, and you should listen to more of what we have to say. I'll have to work that into the tagline somehow. Totally biased media. Your opinions are bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we've sort of covered all the bases of what Pikmin is, so let's kind of bring it on home here. So, Jason, what are your final thoughts on Pikmin 4? Pikmin 4, I think, is a game that just about anybody can pick up and have a good time with. Um, unless you're those the three people we've read reviews of <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i don't think that they would pick it up and have a good time with it but if you're one of those people that uh the first guy wanted to be rude to <laughs> you should listen to his recommendation <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think i would recommend this game to just about anybody uh as long as you're kind of into having a relaxing time with the game because I, I know some people when they play video games like they want to sweat, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and this is not a game for that. If you're really um, into, like, Call of Duty, you're probably, like, well, I mean, if you're really into Call of Duty and it's, like, the only game you play, you're probably not going to love Pikmin, but I still <laughs> think you should give it a try. No, I think that for everything about this game that I dislike, there's so many other, like, things about it that are just so much fun and so pure and so wholesome 
And like, it's just, it's a very rewarding game. Like you just get to go out and you find treasures and everybody gets all excited when you find enough treasures. And I don't know, it's just, it's cool. Um, I think, like I said before, it kind of a, a appeals to that same part of my brain that the Lego games do, where it's not that what I'm doing, I'm not overcoming some difficult challenge or solving some complicated puzzle, but I am doing the goal that the game puts in front of me at a pretty good pace, where I feel like I'm constantly accomplishing something, or at the very least what I'm doing is working towards me accomplishing something else later. And I think that in that way, the game really succeeds in just about every front. So yeah. if you're if you like that kind of game, then this is one of the best out there. If you're one of those people where a game has to be really demanding of you and like it has to be a big challenge and it has to have big fights or you have to be solving some really complicated puzzle, stay away from this one. And I recognize that those types of people already probably aren't playing Pikmin, <laughs> but I think that uh, if you're just looking for a chill game to vibe with, <laughs> uh, this is the one. I feel like I've used the words chill and vibe more talking about this game than I have about like any other facet of my life ever. <laughs> vibe check. Well, that's already a lot of Pikmin 4 talk. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson couldn't be with us today because he just started college at where he lives in dorm. So if you have any strong feelings about what we've been into or what we think about Pikmin, go and find him at and tell him about it. I constantly live in fear. For my little brother Jackson, who lives at <laughs> way, <laughs> he keeps the doors unlocked. Have a good time. <laughs> yeah. So we're skipping Jackson, Jason. What else have you been into? So the big game that I want to talk about this week, and basically the only thing I've played other than Sea of Thieves and Pikmin Four, is. Uh, yeah, you want those games, right? So here you go. Now let's see you clear them. <laughs> Which is uh, a collection of... You know all those games that you see in mobile ads? Where it's like, you gotta pull the pin to solve puzzles. Or you gotta drag the stick figure to the number that's lower than him. So you can get a higher number and hit the other stick figures. <laughs> or they're just running down an endless track. But then there's some random combination of like diamonds or pizza or whatever that you have to like steer into as you're going down the track just the dumbest mobile ads you've ever seen yeah those games <laughs> uh this is a collection of those games but someone actually made them they're not just a lie like the ones and, in the yeah. the ads are not just any someone the same people that are making the katamari damacy remakes or i guess damacy's the first one just the Katamari game in general remakes. It's pretty good. I mostly just kind of think it's funny that someone actually was just like, it's annoying how many of those mobile games you see that aren't real games. And being like, we should just make a whole bunch of them that you can play in one collection and then put it on Nintendo Switch for some reason. It's not a good game, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to recommend that people play this game because at the end of the day, it's a collection of games that are intentionally bad. Right. But I just think it's like such a fun concept. And I love that the name of the game is, yeah, you want those games, right? So here you go. Now let's see you clear them. Uh, what a mess of a game. It's, it's really funny to me that like 
how how little of this makes sense when you really think about it. Because those games are not only like intentionally bad, even the games that they like represent are still only meant to like trick your brain for 30 seconds. Like they're not games that are even good in their own right. They're just like, I want to see what happens when you click on the right number. Unlike that guy in the ad who clicked the wrong number. <laughs> like, oh man, I wish it had that mobile game where it's the guys with the guns and you gotta, you gotta go through the gates. Oh yeah. But in the, in the ads, they always make the worst choice and they go right. through the gate that makes them worse. Yeah. It's always like one gate is like, go through here for minus one power and go through here for plus infinity power. And they like, they're aimed like they're going to go through the plus infinity power gate. And then at the last second, they swerve over and go in the wrong one. Like those ads, even if that game functioned exactly as it said it does, which it doesn't, but even if it did, there would still like, that was not a good concept. <laughs> like that's not fun. Like. It's just, it's trying to trick your brain for long enough to go to the app store and click download. So anyway, DLC idea for, yeah, you want those games, right? <laughs> so here you go. Now let's see you clear them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another DLC that could add to, yeah, you want those games, right? So here you go. Now let's see you clear them. Is that one I always see ads for that says that it'll make you <laughs> <laughs> Well, that can't go in the episode. <laughs> Since you're already doing bleeps, you should just add a long bleep over what I said. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Jordan, what have you been up to this week? Yeah. Final Fantasy 16 really left me itching for some, like, big, flashy, exciting combat and, uh, I don't know many games that do that better than Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, so I decided to play through it on Critical, which is the game's hardest difficulty and is like head and shoulders more difficult, like above the other ones. It's tough, but I've really liked it a lot. Um, it's not even just that it's harder when you play on Critical. It's basically a different game. <laughs> like you need to spend your time very differently when you're playing uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 on Critical. Kingdom Hearts 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. We've talked about the Kingdom Hearts series multiple times on the podcast. If you if you've been listening for a while, then you, you already know we're we're big Kingdom Hearts fans. Um, and I think two is the absolute highlight of the series. I think that when you're playing it on the harder difficulties and you're focusing more on the combat than the story, it it, it shows you how good this game is at being two things at once. Because the combat of this game can be very simple. It can be incredibly button mashy. A lot of the abilities you get in the game just make your regular combo better and more dynamic. So you can just keep mashing X, but as you level up, what you're doing when you mash X becomes much better. But if you're playing on the harder difficulties, you can see that this can also be a very precise game where you need to think very hard about all of your moves and you need to do it in a very, very tight time frame. Uh, because generally speaking, it's only like two hits and anything will kill you. And there are times when you're fighting like a dozen enemies at once and they're all coming at you at the same time. So you need to be much more strategic with your spacing and with your magic. Because in this game, once you use all your magic, you just are out for 30 seconds to a minute. And all you can do is just get away. And uh, I think that when you're kind of leaning more towards that second camp where it's much harder and much more aggressive, I think that... 
you can really see the nuance there that the button mashy side doesn't necessarily get. Man, this game's got some really, really cool fights and some really cool enemies, and I love these characters, and it's just such a good game. I think something that you learn on the harder difficulties of Kingdom Hearts 2 that you completely ignore when you're doing like your first playthrough or playing on easy uh, is that circle is a combat button, but only when you're in combat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because normally circle is what makes you jump, or I guess, is it? Is it B button to jump on Xbox? It is. That's so weird. Um, <laughs> sorry, I got distracted by that realization. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When you're mid-combo in Kingdom Hearts 2, the circle button becomes a way to take your combo up into the air. Right. And I did not learn that until I was playing on Critical. Getting your enemies into the air becomes essential because it's the only way that you're going to put the distance you need between you and another enemy so that you can actually focus on the one in front of you. Fairly early in the game, you get an ability that lets you launch a single enemy into the air. And that's a thing that I didn't mess with playing on the game on like normal and proud. But when you're playing on critical, you need to do that a lot. Like you need to separate enemies from the group constantly if you want to actually deal any damage. Playing on critical has also made me realize that all of the spells are useful, not just the three I always use. <laughs> are you trying to say thunder isn't the best spell in that game? I always thought it was, but playing on Critical has shown me that Reflect is probably the most powerful spell that's ever been in any game ever. <laughs> um, it The Reflect spell basically just is the, a guaranteed block, and also if an enemy hits it, it deals damage back to them. But it's based on how much damage they deal to you, so when you're playing on Critical, where everything does a lot of damage, and there are a lot of enemies... Uh, being able to reroute their damage back to them in an AoE-type situation... <laughs> is essential sometimes ironically that made some of the parts that i had the hardest time with as a kid playing this game much much easier and then playing on critical makes some of the parts that i always thought were really easy or just never thought about incredibly hard <laughs> i assume you're playing final mix uh, yeah, yeah. I, i'm interested to hear if you end up doing the i think it's the garden of remembrance yeah i i am at that point but i have not actually started any of those fights yet um I wanted to do all the stuff that I like am most concerned about in the game first. Like I finished the story, I got all the treasures, I got all the puzzle pieces. So now I'm I'm about to start the Garden of Remembrance, which is basically like a a series of boss fights, which are like the villains from the series, but turned up to eleven. They're way faster, way more aggressive, they have more health, they deal more damage. Like these are just brutal versions of the bosses from the game. And uh I suspect that that's going to be tough because even playing on like the normal difficulty, those are hard. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm probably going to be looking up a lot of guides. <laughs> so. I think once you finish this, you should do Kingdom Hearts 3 on Critical because I think you'll appreciate the combat in Kingdom Hearts 3 a lot more. Well, I've, I've beaten Kingdom Hearts 3 in Critical. Oh, you um, have? I've never done it on 2. This is the first time I've beaten 2 on Critical, but 3... Because Critical was added to Kingdom Hearts 3 like a year after it came out, roughly, yeah. I think. I think it was um, the same time that they added the DLC. Yeah. So I went, whenever they added Critical, I went back and replayed the game like right then on Critical. And Kingdom Hearts 3 is really interesting because the beginning of the game is really, really hard. But as you get better Keyblades and you get more familiar with like some of the mechanics you may have ignored <laughs> in the beginning of the game... It, it really comes together. Like in Kingdom Hearts 3, 
you know, you have a shot lock, which basically is like you go into this third person over the shoulder aiming thing and you can like highlight a bunch of enemies and then unleash a big attack that homes in on all of them. But you can also use the shot lock to like home in on one specific enemy and then like teleport to them. That was something I didn't use very much playing the game on its like regular difficulties. On critical, that is essential. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to use that constantly. Like you use that way more than you ever walk up to an enemy. <laughs> it it is kind of interesting thinking about both Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3 on those harder difficulties. It's the stuff that didn't sound that important that actually like is your fighting chance. Like it's abilities and spells and gear that you wouldn't necessarily have thought as being that good that actually ends up being what saves you in the harder difficulties like for example an ability and then like an an ability you can have on equipment and all that in kingdom hearts 2 is draw and draw basically means that you item on the ground it will just like like come to you if you're further away from it and you know that's useful of course like you don't have to like be as particular about picking up items but that was something i never really thought about as being like that important playing on critical Having draw equipped like three times was really, really important because it meant that anytime I killed an enemy that dropped a health orb, it would basically just like immediately come to me. And that was like essential for how I was playing the game when that was something I would not have thought as being important at all playing the game the first couple of times and playing it as a kid and all that. One of the smartest systems in play with Kingdom Hearts 2 is the drive system. So drive forms are effectively just... Sora can kind of go Super Saiyan for a minute. He goes into like a super powerful mode that most of them emphasize like one particular ability. Like Valor form, you attack much faster. Wisdom form, your your spells are much more powerful. Uh, Limit form lets you do some like pretty unique AOE you know attacks that hit lots of enemies. Um, like they each sort of have their strengths, and you can only use them a fixed amount of time based on like a meter that fills up by dealing and taking damage. But The more you use a particular form, the more you level it up and the more powerful it gets. But if you level up it, level up the drive forms enough, you actually get abilities that Sora gets all the time. So like, for example, Valor form lets you jump higher. And if you level up Valor form, eventually Sora outside of Valor form will be able to jump higher. And, you know, you get an increased jump and you get a double jump and you get a dash and you get a dodge roll. And these are all things that are really like essential to your kit. But you get them by focusing on these drive forms. And I think that that, not a complicated system, but it completely gets rid of any weariness I have about grinding in this game. Because I think that leveling up the drive forms is so much fun and so rewarding. And the fact that you're just getting regular XP the whole time you're doing this completely gets rid of anything I would dislike about the combat if I was just... You know, even just like running through the same area over and over and over again, fighting the same enemies to level up is still fun in this game because those drive forms, they add a lot of flavor to it. They make it more dynamic. They make it a lot cooler to look at. Like, I think the drive forms are so cool. And the fact that they make you better when you're not using them, too, makes them so much fun to use and so rewarding. I think a big advantage that the drive forms have is the fact there's only nine levels for each one or seven, whatever. I I knew it was like, you don't have to spend ages on each drive form. Like it's not like you need to get the drive form to level 100 the same way you're getting Sora to level 100. Yeah. And yeah. they all level up in different unique ways. Right. Um like some of them level up just by getting hits, some by, you know, collecting drive orbs like we mentioned, but then there are others that level up by killing certain enemies or 
using certain abilities. The fact that each one levels up in a different way means that with each one, as you're leveling it up, you want to go to different places and fight different types of enemies and use different equipment. Like, I think that it adds a lot of variety. Um, And the game's also really smart in how it does its level scaling. So basically, at like two different fixed points in the game, all the enemies are going to get a lot tougher. And that second time when they get a lot tougher is pretty close to the end of the game. And now you're at a point where basically every world you could revisit is going to have enemies that are actually worth your time to fight, which means that exploring and just fighting enemies and finding items is still really fun in this game, even after you've already done all of the main story stuff. I guess what we're saying is Kingdom Hearts 2 is one of the best games of all time. (laughs) Yeah. I would recommend it to anybody that likes video games. This series is dense. (laughs) And there are now 11 games in the series. And I I think to like really appreciate all the nuances of the series as a whole, you kind of have to play them all. I mean, thankfully, Kingdom Hearts 2 is sort of the peak of the series, and there's only three games, you know, one, one, two, and then a game that a Game Boy Advance game that takes place between the two of them. So there's not like a ton of stuff you have to get to enjoy Kingdom Hearts 2, but I think that this series is very uh overwhelming from the outside (laughs) and i'm really glad that i played it like as these games were coming out because i think it would be a hard sell to go back and play all of them for the first time like at this point in my life yeah i think the the biggest issue with the kingdom hearts series is that uh it really peaked with two two is the best combat wise and story wise but one has aged the worst yeah The, the first game i feel like is really hard to convince people to play these days because I think that it's really outdated in a lot of its design, especially its tutorial. It also just, it doesn't feel great at first. Like, I think once you have some specific abilities, I think it feels really good to play. But I think in the beginning, it's very, it's just, it, there's a lot of, like, I don't know. It feels kind of rusty. Like, your moves are kind of slow and there's no, like, assist, you know, to help you hit enemies, even though you're in a 3D space. And that's kind of important. But, like, as you get more abilities that let you, like, home in on a specific enemy or that make it to where your attacks kind of hit a larger area or you just get more Keyblades with, like, longer reach and stuff, I think the combat starts to feel really good. It's just that it doesn't start that way and it's hard to convince people. It's just like, oh, yeah, just play the first seven levels and then it will be fun. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like Kingdom Hearts 2 has just aged remarkably well. Yeah. It's as good as just about any action RPG coming out these days. For sure. But Kingdom Hearts 1 still feels like a game that came out in 2002. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially with its platforming. Yeah, the platforming is bad. And the camera. Um. <laughs> yeah. You play Kingdom Hearts 1 and you're like, yeah, this is only six years after Super Mario 64, ain't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still, like Kingdom Hearts 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, I it's just so much fun to dig back into. I love the I love the story. I love the characters. I think that even though the even though the mechanics of the worlds are a little boring, I think that the worlds all look really great, and they did a really good job of adapting like all of the characters and the stories. And I can't say the same about the games that come after Kingdom Hearts Two, but I think that Kingdom Hearts Two does a really good job of having its own story and its own motivations, but still like doing the Disney stuff justice where a lot of the later games do not do the Disney stuff justice by any means, especially Kingdom Hearts 3. That Frozen world is an absolute mess. I think the Tangled world was pretty good. 
Yeah, Tangled was the best world in the game, in my opinion, which is ironic because it's also the one that has like the least original story. But that's enough talk about Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh, wait, no, this isn't a Kingdom Hearts 2 episode. We're actually at the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We were just talking about that one game for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kingdom Hearts 2 is good, y'all. But if you would like to reach out to us, we have a handful of ways you can do that. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter, or X, you can reach us on X, <laughs> at TBMcast, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media, and you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Um, if you have your own reviews for some upcoming games, we'd love to hear them. Um, we're digging into some games like Starfield, and I'm blanking on its name, the new From Software mech game. Why can't I think of what it's called? Armored Core. Armored Core. Yes, we're, we're digging into Starfield, and Armored Core, and Baldur's Gate. And some smaller ones you may not be as familiar with, like uh, Atlas Fallen is actually going to be our next game, a game I didn't know existed until like seven days ago. (laughs) I remember Um, seeing it during one of the, uh, I don't don't even remember if it was at the PlayStation State of Play or one of the Xbox uh, showcases. We talked about it then, and then we haven't thought about it since. um, Yeah, we have a lot of games coming up. If you have your own reviews, you can send them to our email or you can reach out to us on our social media. Um, We'd love to hear from you, though. Yeah, we have a lot of cool stuff planned. I think that just about does it, though. So, for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. And I'm Jason Simmons. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.